0: Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman. Today, I'm the only one on this podcast. And the question that matters is, how does Passover and Easter relate to each other? I'm prompted to address this topic because in just the past few weeks, I've heard from several of my Gentile Christian friends who are asking had a witness to their Jewish friends, in particular at this time of year when Passover and Easter intersect. They intersect every year uh, right around the same time. This year in particular, they're closer than ever. The Jewish calendar is more of a lunar calendar, and so it doesn't always line up exactly but uh, with Easter. But this year, the two coincide amazingly. Um, I've also been asked by another friend who was invited to his Jewish friend's uh, house for a Passover meal, and wants to know how how should he behave and how should he um, uh, how should he interact and is this a great witnessing opportunity? And um, the first thing I mentioned to him was, well, well, don't show up too hungry, uh, because uh, there's a lot of uh, reading and festivities and discussion. Uh, before any of the food shows up. So just that's a very practical tip. Uh, I'm not going to be able to explain everything about Passover and Easter uh, and how they intersect, but I do want to encourage you to find out as much as you possibly can about this topic, because it it is the quintessential intersection of how Jesus's death and atonement line up and fulfill the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the pictures that were given throughout the Old Testament, and in particular, that dominant story of the Old Testament of the exodus out of slavery from Egypt. Um, it's amazing how many times that event is referred back to by the prophets in the Psalms. Uh, I remember one evening I was uh, participating in a uh, dialogue uh, between christians and jewish people jewish rabbis or three rabbis and three christians and uh one of the rabbis said that all of judaism revolves around passover and uh, i don't think that's an overstatement i think that's a very accurate reading of the tanakh the hebrew scriptures the what we call the old testament so it makes sense um for us to make a big deal about passover um, but the more we understand about Passover and the more we understand the Old Testament, um, the better we'll understand what Jesus did on that night that he celebrated his last meal. Um, I, at, at the risk of being slightly disturbing, I, I want to say that for, for many years, I, I spoke in a lot of churches during the Passover Easter season. And I would talk about, here's what happened uh, in, uh, in uh, the Exodus from Egypt. Here's how Passover became a celebration that remembered that event. Here's how the Passover meal evolved over time, adding more and more uh, uh elements to the evening's festivity to help you remember and relive the experience of being delivered out of slavery. And then here's what Jesus did with his disciples at that last meal, and here's how what Jesus did was the fulfillment of that. And it always amazed me that whenever I spoke, I would get lots and lots of Christian people coming up to me afterwards who had never heard any of this. Some of them were older people who had been Christians for 50 years, and yet they had never heard about the intersection of Passover and Easter. So I really want to encourage you uh, to, to learn about this as much as possible if you do get invited to Jewish Friends for a Passover Seder. Uh, meal, um, by all means, go and listen and listen and try to learn as much as possible and ask some questions. And then your experience on those Sundays when your church celebrates communion or the Eucharist or the, the, the Lord's Supper will be so much richer and so much more um, moving to you and, and formative in your own spiritual growth. Uh, I do want to encourage you to check out uh, the websites of Jews for Jesus and Chosen People Ministries, two great evangelistic works that reach out to Jewish people. Both of them have articles or even books on their websites that you can find out about more. The founder of Jews for Jesus, Moish Rosen, wrote a fantastic book called Christ in the Passover. Uh, uh, Chosen People Ministries has a, a version of um, of, of their book of the Messiah in the Passover, they have uh, both have uh, links to Messianic Passover, Hagadas. A Hagada is a book that is used to tell the story of Passover. Hagada is the Hebrew word for the telling. Seder is the Hebrew word for order, and there's an order of events that take place. Um, and in fact, um, if you can. Uh, if, if it's not too late when you're listening to this, um, this podcast, Chosen People Ministries this year is going to be doing a virtual Passover Seder. I'll have the information about it in the show notes below, um, and you might be able to sign up and actually watch one of these virtually. It won't be as good as being there and eating the delicious food, um, but it can really help you understand and grow and understand about more of the intersection. So let me give you just a few snippets of what you might experience at a Passover Seder, just to uh, whet your appetite and give you a hunger for more. This, again, is not the most elaborate uh, explanation of it, but I just wanna encourage you to think deeply about this. Um, uh, Like I said, the word Seder means order. uh, the, the, the original story in the scriptures takes place in the book of Exodus, and you'll recall that the Jewish people were slaves for over 400 years, and then God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and told him that there would be deliverance and that he would lead the people out of slavery. And uh, Moses went to Pharaoh and um, said, let my people go, and Moses said no, and there became a sequence then. Of 10 plagues, each building in intensity, uh, harming the Egyptian people so that eventually Pharaoh's heart would be uh, amenable to the idea of letting the Jewish people go. And of course, you remember that the 10th and worst plague was the death of the firstborn, and that um, uh, Pharaoh's uh, firstborn son died, and then he allowed Moses and the people to leave. They got to the Red Sea. The Red Sea had to part supernaturally by God's miraculous hand. Uh, then the Egyptian people came after them. They changed their mind, and then God closed the Red Sea on them. They got, the Jewish people got freed, saved, delivered, and God's enemies were punished. And so this, this story is an amazing story of God's power, of his intervention, of his uh, protecting his people. It's, it's a message of salvation and deliverance. And um, um, in the, the scriptures, they tell uh, the Jewish people that they are to remember this event. And they are to remember it with a, a ceremonial meal that would include just three key ingredients. A um, A lamb because the Jewish people sacrificed a lamb and took the blood and put it on the doorpost as an outward sign of their inward faith in God, and that when God saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over their house and not kill the firstborn. But for people who did not put the blood on the door, those people would have the loss of the firstborn in that house. And so there was to be a, uh, a lamb uh, as, as a meal, um, or um, sometimes a representative of that uh, lamb of just a shank bone on, uh, uh, as part of the meal. Uh, bitter herbs, usually horseradish, um, because the lives of the Jewish people were made bitter in their slavery. And matzah, an unleavened bread, because the Jewish people escaped from Egypt in haste they did not have time to let the dough rise. And so they made these very flat cakes of bread that didn't have yeast in them. And so those three ingredients were the only ones told about in, um, in the scripture. God told the Jewish people to have a meal with these three ingredients, matzah, bitter herb, and the lamb. One of the questions that matter that we hope to pursue throughout all of these different podcasts is, do you want to experience the power of a transformed life? That's the focus of our C.S. Lewis Institute Fellows Program, a year-long Fellows Program. And we're at this time accepting applications for the next round of uh, Fellows Programs please visit our website cslewisinstitute.org and then go slash fellows underscore program or just go searching on our website for the fellows program and uh, prayerfully consider applying. As the time elapsed and uh, the children and then the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren had not firsthand experienced that deliverance, the Jewish people started adding more and more elements to their Passover Seder so to fill out the explanation so that details of the story were not lost. And so over time, this meal evolved and became more uh, elaborate. And so different things were added. Uh, parsley was added and as, a, as a, a symbol of springtime and life, but the parsley was dipped in salt water to remind us of the tears shed Uh, when we were slaves. And then um, remembering that part of the slavery was making uh, mortar and building cities with bricks and mortar. Um, They created a very delicious, sweet mixture of apples and nuts and uh, perhaps raisins and uh, wine. And um, uh, so that was added to remember about the mortar and all sorts of things. And then also there were four, cups of wine uh, that were interspersed throughout the evening. And each wine, each cup of wine had its own symbolism or its own purpose. The idea for the four cups of wine flowed out of a key verse in the telling of the Exodus, in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, the scriptures say, Therefore, say to the Israelites, Uh, this is God telling Moses um, what to say, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will make you as my own people, and I will be your God. And so there's four promises in here. God will bring out, God will free, God will redeem, and God will make a people. And so these four glasses of wine are interspersed in the evening of the Passover, remembering each of those promises that God um, uh, made to the Jewish people. And different glasses of wine have different explanation about them woven into the Passover Seder. Remember this because it was the third glass of wine, the cup of redemption, that Jesus raised uh, toward the, after the meal and said, this is the blood of my covenant, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I want you to see it's a long evening. It's a lot of food. It's a lot of singing. It's tasting wine. It's tasting symbolic foods. It's trying to live out God's um, uh, injunction to us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, it's filled with symbolism. It's filled with teaching. You remember, you read certain passages of Scripture. Uh, over time, it was uh, deemed that um, certain psalms in the Book of Psalms towards the end of 116, 117, 118 maybe um, uh, would be the ones that are sung uh, at the end of the meal. It's a great time of rejoicing in freedom. In fact, it's, it's supposed to be a long, luxurious evening because... The whole f- feeling is once we were slaves, now we are free. And so people recline at the table. Um, they relax. Um, when you read the gospel accounts, it says that uh, Jesus with his disciples were reclining. That's all part of this whole thing. Now, what I want you now to think about is how Jesus took this symbolism and and just pointed it in the direction of himself as the fulfillment of these pictures from the Exodus. Um, It's important to know that early on in the Passover Seder meal is uh, washing of hands. And very often the leader of the house, the father or the grandfather, will walk around the table uh, with a basin of water and a towel and will wash each person's hands. Well, Jesus began his evening by going around and washing feet. So right from the very start, these Jewish men, his disciples, who were all Jewish, sitting around or reclining around the food said, okay, something different is happening here. In fact... They, they, they knew that something was happening here because Jesus had sent a few of them into a town to go prepare the meal. And even from the very beginning or even before the start, there was this sense of something bigger is going on here. Um, they were supposed to say to a total stranger when they took uh, um, uh, a donkey for uh, riding into the into the city, uh, the master uh, has need of this. Um and the people um, uh, chanted Hosanna, which was, was part of those psalms that are sung as Jesus rode into the city. Um, it was not an official from the Bible expectation, but folklore and rabbinic teaching believed that the Messiah would arrive at Passover time. Wouldn't that be the ultimate fulfillment of being set free from slavery, of the Messiah coming and setting all of creation free? So there was a very high expectation. The population of Jerusalem swelled dramatically during this time of Passover. Um, There were three times of year that Jewish people came up to Jerusalem. They came in the fall for the celebration of Sukkot, uh, tabernacles. Then they came um, um, at, at Passover time, and then they stayed in town very often for seven weeks until the holiday of weeks afterwards, called Shavuot. And so the population in Jerusalem probably was eight times the normal population. And so crowds were all around, especially in Jerusalem and in the the temple area. And so there was such a sense of expectation. But then Jesus washed his feet at the beginning of the Passover meal. And then they went through the order. They went through different things. And then at the end of the meal... Jesus took bread. Now, we don't know this absolutely certainly because we don't know exactly all of the different things that were added to the Passover Seder and when they were added. But it's quite likely that taking bread after the meal was a surprise to the disciples because um, the last thing they were supposed to eat was a piece of the roasted lamb. It was supposed to be the last flavor lingering in their mouth. And so they would remember this sacrifice lamb that provided the blood that was the escape for them from that 10th and terrible plague. and uh, so, but, but after they were finished uh, eating, uh, Jesus took bread and said, this is my body, which is uh, broken for you. Um, it must have been a surprise or a shock or a, a bewilderment for the, for the d- disciples sitting there. But, but one thing was clear, he was making a connection between the story of the Exodus, a deliverance out of physical slavery, uh, to his body, which would provide a deliverance from spiritual slavery. And then he took the third cup of wine and he said, this is my, but, my blood. And so the disciples uh, probably started catching on. Oh, here's what he's saying his deliverance his body his blood is the fulfillment of this whole story of passover physical slavery set free being set free from physical slavery was a foreshadowing of spiritual deliverance from spiritual slavery now if you get the opportunity to go to a jewish person's house now You'll see a number of things that have been added to the Passover Seder. We're not exactly sure when or how, but there's a number of different things that are added because, it, like I said, it evolved over time uh, for people to remember different, uh, th- remember things more uh, fully. There's one event or part of the Seder that's, that's so puzzling. Um, I mentioned that matzah, unleavened bread, is a crucial part of the Passover Seder, well, there's a, um, a cloth bag with three compartments uh, on the, in the middle of the table, and it's uh, sometimes called a matzah tash. Uh, that's either Hebrew or Yiddish. I don't remember, but a matzah bag. There's three pieces of matzah in that matzah tash. And early on in the evening, um, the leader of the Passover Seder, the father or the grandfather father, takes the middle of the three pieces of matzah out. He breaks it in half. He puts half back in to the matzotash he takes a uh, half that he leaves out he wraps it in a linen cloth and later during the meal he goes to hide it and then it becomes this game where the children go and try to find it and if they can find it then they can get a ransom from the father of some money toward getting the matza but in so many places during the passover seder everything is explained with elaborate detail and even in some, in some Haggadahs, um, we're told Rabbi so-and-so tells this explanation. Rabbi so-and-so says this explanation. There's all these explanations of why do we eat unleavened bread? Why do we have a, a, a shank of, of a lamb bone? What's this bitter herbs all about? Why the water with salt in it? What, everything's got an explanation, except for that matzah thing with the three matzahs and there's no explanation as to why three, why the middle one is taken out, why it's broken, why it's wrapped in linen, why, why it's hidden. It's really odd. But at the very end of the meal, um, after the children have uh, gotten their ransom and they hand the piece of matzah back to the leader, he breaks it into small pieces and passes it around the table so that everybody gets a piece of that matzah called the afikomen. Which, by the way, is is a Hebrew word with a whole um, an amount of debate as to what that word means. Does it mean after dish? Does it mean a dessert? Does it, it's, uh, uh, you'll you'll spend hours and hours reading debates about what that word means. Um. But but again, there's no explanation. It's rather bizarre. And uh, when I became uh, uh, a believer in Jesus, when I was only 20 years old, I read Moish Rosen's book, Christ in the Passover. Well, first I read an article that he wrote about it, and he explained that it's quite possible. Again, we don't have the historic factual data to know exactly when the matzah Tosh was added to the Passover Seder. But it's quite possible that it was added right after the time of Jesus celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples. And it was added by Jewish believers in Jesus who were still part of the Jewish community. You know, the Jewish community at the time of Jesus had a number of different uh, uh, sects or, or factions. So you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes, you had the Zealots, and for a while, there were a group of Jewish people who were believers in Jesus, and they were, they were um, considered the, the, the Messianic Jews in that community. Are you a fisher of men? Uh, do you want to be a fisher of men? Do you, do you struggle with this call that Jesus places on us to be fishers of men? Uh, discipling others is also a significant part of that whole enterprise and it's a way to abide in Christ it's a way for us to know Christ more fully become more like him and participate in his work of building his kingdom so as we disciple we become co-workers with Jesus as he helps us mature he allows us to help him mature others and nurture them towards reproduction and expanding of his kingdom. And so we have many free small group resources on our website, uh, many different things to help you in this discipleship process, both to grow as a disciple and to disciple others. So please check out cslewisinstitute.org products. And uh, they weren't cast out or expelled until later. Um, many years later, there was a revolt um, by Jewish people um, in the year 132 or so around then when a rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, uh, declared this military uh, leader, Bar Kokhba, Simon Bar Kokhba, that he was the he was the Messiah. And uh, the messianic Jewish believers in Jesus couldn't go along with that. And so they didn't participate in that rebellion. Um, The Jewish people lost that rebellion. And the Jewish believers in Jesus at that point were considered traitors. Um, Things also had gotten kind of um, tense between the Jewish believers in Jesus and and the non-Jew, non-believers. Jewish non-believers in Jesus around 70 AD with the destruction of the temple because all sorts of difficulties happened around then. If you know the story of Masada, it's very, very difficult and painful. And so there began this rift. But in the early sta- early days of the Christian faith in the 30s, 40s, 50s, Jewish people who believed in Jesus were still not considered traitors. And so it's quite possible that they wanted to sneak in this part of the Passover Seder of a matzatash of three matzahs. And so they, they wove in something into the Passover meal that would remind or tell or inform people that God himself is a, a Trinity three in one. By the way, the, the matzah tash, there's, there's very strict rules about how it has to be one bag with three compartments. And why is it that the middle of those three matzahs is the one that's broken? And why is it wrapped in a linen cloth and, if you will, buried and then resurrected at the end of the meal? I mean, it's just so stunningly um, picturesque of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being broken, uh, being wrapped in linen, being buried, being resurrected. But again, uh, it, and it still is part of today's Jewish celebration of the Seder. It's absolutely bizarre and puzzling. And uh, you'll go to it and you'll, you'll see people who have no knowledge whatsoever of Jesus and they don't believe in Jesus, and yet they do this every year. There's also a part of the Passover Seder today where uh, Jewish people open the door and they sing a song inviting Elijah to come because they know from Malachi the prophet, that that Elijah comes before the Messiah. And every year, Elijah doesn't show up. They close the door, and they're disappointed. Now, um, years ago, I had the opportunity when I was a campus minister at Towson State in Baltimore, and Baltimore has a very strong Jewish population And they were not very happy with the fact that the guy who was the director of a Christian movement on Towson's campus, Campus Crusade for Christ, not a very sensitive name for the Jewish audience, Um, but me, I was Jewish and I was a Jewish believer. And so the Jewish students and there was a Jewish organization on campus that was not very happy about my presence and um, one year I was going to do a demonstration about Passover Seder to the Jewish, to the Christian students through the Campus Crusade movement. Um, and I decided, you know, I'm going to explain this bit about the matzah and the three in one and the second of the matzahs and all this. And I thought I need to find out um, what, what's the what's the non non messianic answer about how the matzah all found its way into the Passover Seder. So I called the campus rabbi and he and I had known each other. And like I said, he wasn't very happy with who I was and what I was doing. But I said to him, I said, I'm going to be doing this presentation for the Christian students about Passover. And I know the messianic interpretation of the Matsatosh and the Afikomen. Can you tell me what the non-messianic interpretation is? And I'll never forget. He said, um, Tell you the truth, Randy, the non-messianic answer is kind of weak. It makes the messianic one sound good. <laughs> and I, I, I was amazed. I, I, I was marveling. I, I, I couldn't believe it. So I said, well, well, please give it, give it a try. Tell me, what, what's the non-messianic answer? He said, well, very often the most common interpretation is that the matzatash represents the threefold name of God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I said, okay, but why do we break Isaac? Why why, why Isaac? And why, And why break? And why hide and all that? And he said, well, you know, um, Isaac was uh, offered up uh, on Mount Moriah, and Abraham almost killed him, but God spared him. So he was broken, but not really broken. I said, um, what does that have to do with Passover? He said, yeah, I know. It's kind of weak. <laughs> well... Um, We can't prove, we don't know exactly when the the Matzatash was added to the Passover Seder. We don't know when the Afikomen evolved, but it sure looks like a pointer to one of the most amazing things in the world, that the triune God, the Father, sent the Son to be broken, to be buried, to be resurrected as the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover story, that Deliverance from physical slavery is a wonderful, amazing work of a saving God, but the work of the Messiah on the cross to atone for sins, to set people free from spiritual slavery, not just 400 years of slavery, but eternal punishment for sin, all by grace, all by freely given grace. So may it be that you'll dig into the jewish roots of that uh celebration that you have at your church on however often your church celebrates the lord's supper and you'll experience it on a deeper richer way because this is a question that matters how passover relates to easter i'll have some uh, resources in the show notes below we hope that like all of our resources at the c.s lewis institute that this Uh, podcast and all of our podcasts and all of our materials are helpful for you to grow in depth with your walk with the Lord, that this helps you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind.